Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. When President Biden took office, he pledged to, as he put it, restore the soul of America. Biden promised that his administration would emphasize civility in an effort to bring the country together and to restore trust. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America, requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity. Unity. But the reality Biden faces is that he's governing a nation with citizens who are susceptible to misinformation and still six weeks in question the legitimacy of his presidency. The level of dishonesty is not to be believed. We have a very sick and corrupt electoral process that must be fixed immediately. This election was rigged and the Supreme Court and other courts didn't want to do anything about it. False claims of election fraud are just one way our democracy, our institutions, our civics have been tested over the past year. We've seen violence and civil unrest, an attack on the U.S. Capitol, death threats against public health officials, and a general feeling of bitterness and anger toward our politics. Even the day we're recording this, Thursday, the Capitol Police were on alert because of a threat of another potential attack on the Capitol, though this time the threat didn't materialize. All of that together, though, has left trust in our institutions significantly diminished. Last year, Pew Research Center marked trust in our government at a historic low. This trend has led to questions about the durability of American democracy. Biden has said he hopes to tackle that challenge. I know how much President Trump has damaged faith in our institutions, in our leaders, in government itself. We have to rebuild the trust between the public and its public servants. It's one of the most difficult tasks we'll face in the coming years. So how can the country rebuild trust in our institutions and slow the spread of misinformation? It turns out a group of academics, historians, and educators have a plan that they believe can address these problems. And it starts in the classroom. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. The Biden administration can consider a number of different ways to rebuild trust in our institutions. And I've heard a lot about ideas like changing the way we use social media and technology or elevating experts inside our government. I've heard less, though, about rethinking our public education, and I wanted to know about where that approach might fit in. Just in the past year, we've seen so many examples of just declining faith and trust in civic institutions, whether it be the presidency, the Congress, media, and the courts. And this is not just something that's developed over this year. It's developed over the last 
quarter century, even longer. That's Post reporter Joe Heim. Joe's been reporting on a newly released plan from a group of educators and academics called the Education for American Democracy Initiative, or the EAD. Together, that group of more than 300 experts with differing views released guidance earlier this week on how to strengthen American democracy by starting in the nation's schools. What they're trying to address is just this real decline in the understanding and knowledge of how civic institutions work and what the role of citizens is in a functioning democracy. The initiative argues that essentially a line can be drawn from today's civics crises to a longstanding failure to effectively teach American government and history in our public kindergarten through 12th grade schools. To fix that, their new report calls for a massive investment of funds, of teacher training and curriculum development over the next 10 years. So they're trying to address that in this effort. What they're doing is providing guidance for states across the country in terms of how to both increase their funding for civic education and history education, but also to prioritize it. And they want to develop in K-12 schools with students just an understanding of how government functions and understanding how civic life works, the responsibility of being a citizen, and the importance of compromise and debate that is good faith debate rather than what we've come to sort of see in our national politics, especially, but even in state level, just this, what we would probably accurately describe as debate that isn't in good faith, just ad hominem attacks, misinformation, disinformation. And so what they are proposing for schools is they're not proposing standards for the schools. Every state decides what its social studies and civics and history education standards are. So that's not a function of the federal government. But what they're suggesting is a large federal investment in granting money to states and nonprofits to address this issue of sort of the failure of civics education over the past few decades. Can you explain where this idea emerged from and who's funding it and why? It started during the Trump administration with $650,000 in grants from the Education Department and the National Endowment for the Humanities. And from what I've learned is that there was just a recognition, especially from the NEH, that this was an area of education that should be addressed or at least explored. That $650,000 in grants was eventually increased to more than a million dollars. And with that money, over a period of two years, the EAD initiative worked to release the report that we saw this week. So after years of research, how exactly does this new report suggest Americans should be learning U.S. history and civics? I turned to one of the authors of the report to find out. One of the ways in which it's a really important shift is that students and teachers can really grapple deeply with some of the fundamental issues that we deal with in our society today and has historical roots in the way that we designed institutions and our constitutional democracy. Kei Kawashima Ginsburg is the director of the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts University and one of the lead authors of the EAD report. She explained that in their new version of social studies curriculum, teachers would guide students through what the report calls an inquiry process. So instead of focusing on memorizing dates of wars and names of presidents the way that many of us learned history— Teachers would instead pose in-depth questions and look at the good and bad developments that have led our country to this moment. We're trying to make sure that students really get exposed to some of the fundamental tensions that we have seen both in history and civics education 
and society at large in our political conversation and conversations about what's happened in the past of the United States. And what we're hoping to do through that process is to really have teachers help students build civic muscle, so to say, so that students are able to take in multiple perspectives. The initiative also calls for emphasizing history and civics as much as we do STEM and English. Unlike math and science, there's actually no national set of standards for teaching social studies. Each state's requirements really vary. So getting everyone on board with this new approach that Kay and her colleagues lay out, it'll be a challenge. But a challenge that Kay says is worth the push for the results that they think this new approach can bring. What we expect to see is really students who can think about critical and deep questions they can continue to ask about a civic life and American history and use that skill of inquiry and curiosity about the world and appetite for deep understanding of the structure, the cause, and the historical roots of what they're seeing every day and using that skill to both support the institutions that we have when it is functioning well, as well as challenging it and as needed, revising it for improvement are in fact important part of what it means to live in a constitutional democracy. And today, we're not quite doing that. So how might this kind of education affect a sense of faith in our institutions? Is there an expectation that a better understanding of how our government works will lead to higher levels of trust in it? It's something that we need to see because it should ideally work in a virtuous circle where citizens are holding institutions accountable using their knowledge about the founding and the way the systems of government and civil society function. And that does come from concrete teaching. At the same time, we have to also be building among young people the agency to be able to approach the challenge and problems they see and reach out to the institutions in order to improve it. It is important to note that the young people today who are adults and protesting on the streets or calling out for changes in policies at the local and federal level are not necessarily saying that they don't trust institutions at all. If they didn't, they wouldn't be engaging with the institutions and its leaders today. They're reaching out and trying to partner with these institutions because they do have some of the important knowledge they need in order to change what the institutions are doing, especially for the marginalized communities. But what EAD can do is to actually expand that group of young people who love this country and want it to be better. Every person that comes out of school system here in the United States should have that sense of agency and the requisite knowledge and skill to actually realize that vision together. That is how we actually increase the trust in institutions. If institutions function well, people would trust it. I'm going to ask you about yet another sort of crisis facing our democracy at the moment, which is issues of media literacy and misinformation. Would a stronger civic education program like one you're proposing help people be less susceptible to misinformation? Media literacy and news and information literacy is a part of the EAD initiative because we know it's been a challenge for both educators and the students. Students are often vulnerable to misinformation and they can be really misguided. And quite frankly, adults have the same challenge. So what we're hoping to do 
is to make sure that the students actually develop an appetite for knowing more, knowing under the hood what's happening, who's making these statements, why they're making these statements, and where the information is actually coming from. It comes from deep, critical thinking skill. And you built that by making sure that the students are engaging inquiry from early on, starting in kindergarten and building the muscle skills and habit and appetite for having that kind of deep need for knowledge all the time. By doing that, students will be able to take that skill set and take that need for knowing more to any point and anywhere in their lives. And they'll remain the kind of citizen that informs themselves and take the needed action to make sure that institutions that they have in our society are working for them and for the rest of the community. How big of an impact do you think this inquiry-based approach to learning history and social studies can really have? What would a measurable outcome of the effectiveness of these policies look like? So I think we can measure it in a really, really broad way, like broader voter participation, a greater number of people volunteering their community, maybe greater rates of people keeping up with news, and perhaps trust in institutions too. That said, I think there are lots of steps toward it. We have to really think about what should be happening with regards to students' knowledge and skills. So we emphasize the need for formative assessments as teachers are making sure they're teaching the content they want to, and the students are actually developing both knowledge, agency, and skills. So for instance, we might think about learning about issues that are in roadmap and then making sure that students are also able to hear multiple perspectives because balancing perspectives and being tolerant of different ideas, being able to hear it with open heart and then make their own informed decision is a really important immediate goal of teaching the roadmap. And so the teachers need to be able to think about how students are actually achieving those goals as they're going through even one semester of social studies and do so in a developmentally appropriate way. Do you believe that education is the most important piece of rebuilding this long-term trust in institutions? Or are there other places and policies that you would like to see to help foster that trust? I do believe that the education is one of the most important pieces of rebuilding long-term trust in our institutions. That said, I think that there are other places where students and young people and adults can actually be building long-term trust. Some of those sites may be things like museum education, libraries in your community, community centers. And of course, there are a bunch of educational opportunities that may not be formal, like school. What EAD is asking people to do, though, across different educational settings in broad sense, is that young people and adults who are learning through these settings actually get exposure to different narratives, multiple perspectives, and learn to actually be open to hear those different stories and different ideas. The idea is that when young people have full understanding of what's happened to a country, why things happen, and why those institutions are here today, and how these things work and how to improve it, then people actually feel that they can have a say. And the hope is that if we do this sort of broad-based education, 
not just limited to K-12 civic education in school, but do so across disciplines, across places, and across communities, we're much better equipped to make sure there is a force of young people and adults who are ready to help whenever there is challenges and institutions are not being accountable to its holders. Then there are people that are able to be watchful the whole time and actually engage with those institutions so that we are always working for a more perfect union. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. As we all know, repairing American democracy will not be easy. And attempting to do it through the American education system that's funded by a mix of federal, state, and local money presents a particularly difficult challenge. If the Biden administration wanted to embrace this proposal, what would it even take to implement a new program like this? And how much influence does a president actually have over the way learning happens inside classrooms? The president himself doesn't really have much impact on that. That's Post reporter Joe Heim again. Really, social studies, history, civics, that really falls under the purview of state governments and then even down to the local school boards. And as you can imagine, some of this is controversial and some of the teaching of what you decide to teach and what you decide not to teach, those can be political decisions both at the state level and at the local level. So, for example, I did a story a couple of years ago about how the history of slavery is taught in American schools. And it really varies not just from state to state, but from district to district in terms of how far in depth they want to go into teaching that subject. And then this would apply to, you know, all areas of American life and American history. I mean, it's certainly tricky territory to get all states on board with a plan like this. Do you have a sense of how likely this is to go anywhere? It's unclear right now what exactly the Biden administration will do in terms of whether or not it can sort of launch full support for the findings of this report. The authors believe this is an urgent issue that needs the full attention of not just the president, but the Congress and state governments. What they're hoping is to just generate a lot of support and momentum behind this idea that civics education is in crisis and it needs to be addressed at both the national level and the state level and by the president and by Congress in order for an increase in funding for education to take place that they see is so crucial. I turned back to Kay one last time to figure out what she'd hoped to see from the Biden administration in response to this report. What we can think about at the federal level is essentially allocating a lot of resource so that the states and local agency of education can take that resource and have full support to make sure the teachers are prepared, the administrators know how to support those educators, students know how to contribute to education the way EAD is proposing, and the community stakeholders are actually able to participate. We heard over and over, it's critically important that the community has a say, has an input in how the children's education is going to be constructed. And with enough resources, we can do more than just creating textbooks and websites, which are really great start, and we need to be doing that, but also making sure there are capacity 
and local community to develop locally based curriculum that fits the need for critical thinking, inquiry skills, and agency building, but also fits the local particular culture or particular kinds of events and places that are really important for students to know about and how that relates to our constitutional principles. Today, we're not quite doing that in almost all classrooms where students might be just hearing facts in a really disconnected ways and not able to see how that applies to real life when they're trying to solve problems in their own communities or not being able to see how they fit into American history because they're not actually understanding the spirit of the founding of the United States and not having a chance to really reflect and ask that question. Who am I? Where am I from? And in what ways can I contribute to this constitutional democracy? And the hope is that through this kind of inquiry-oriented approach to civic and history education, students will be able to do that. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Sharla Freeland, with logo art by Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. 